0: Well, amen. You may be seated. And go ahead and take your Bible tonight and find the book of Philippians in chapter number one. There in the New Testament, the book of Philippians, chapter number one. Aren't we grateful for all that God has done? Amen. Oh, we praise him for all that he's done and not only what he has done, but even what he is doing. What he's doing in our lives now. And of course, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. So it's not only what our Lord has done for us in offering himself as a sacrifice, but even what he's doing for our future in preparing a place. We have been in a teaching series this month on heaven. A lot of information, a lot of misinformation about heaven out there. And I just thought it'd be so important as Christians, as believers, to kind of just seek to answer some key questions about heaven. Is heaven, first of all, is heaven real? And we talked about the fact that there are over 500 verses in the Bible about heaven. And yes, again and again and again, even from the words of our Lord Jesus himself. Yes, heaven is real. And it is that forever home for every Believer, every child of God, and then we begin to talk about well, what is heaven like? and we begin exploring the book of Revelation and the new heaven and the new earth, and then last Sunday night, we just learned together from Scripture what will we do in heaven? will we just float around on clouds and play our harps? what do we what will we do and uh, And we talked about that. what does the Bible say, and we'll have responsibilities there. we'll be serving the Lord there and uh, and so I just believe in this series that as our, as we get older and as our faith grows, our faith matures, I believe there ought to be a, a greater hunger. There ought to be greater, greater longing for our forever home, heaven. I, I believe in many ways we ought to just get homesick for heaven. In fact, the apostle Paul said this, Philippians chapter 1. Let's just stand for the reading of God's word. Paul says at, his, at verse number 20, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, then that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is far, far better. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. If you were to Google the word, heaven there's i mean millions and millions of uh, of articles and things that you can read so much information out there about heaven and so much misinformation in fact i just believe that m- many of the things that christians say or believe about heaven quite simply are just wrong And so what has happened as we've kind of launched this series, I I sought to kind of answer some key questions. In fact, next Sunday night, as we kind of conclude this series, we want to look at what happens just before the new heaven and the new earth. And we'll look in Revelation 19 and Revelation 20, and that'll be a great study for us. But since we launched this study several weeks ago, uh, on a regular basis, I receive some texts and messages and emails asking questions about heaven. And so tonight's going to be a little bit different. Tonight, we normally take a passage like Revelation 21, and we just kind of walk through that passage. Tonight, what I want to do is uh, I want to seek to answer from the Word of God, from the Bible, some of the most popular are... um, uh, questions that that people ask, especially Christians. All right, so we're just going to walk through those four, five, six of them, and uh, and then we're going to enjoy the Lord's Supper together, just fellowshipping around the Lord's table with communion. All right, question number one: What about prayers for the dead? Uh, we hear about people when they die that they're praying for the dead. We often hear that, and so what does the Bible say about prayers for the dead? Well, one of the key verses that we need to understand is this. Hebrews in chapter 12, and the first part of verse number one says this, "'Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses.'" Now, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, is that right now in heaven, there are the heroes of the faith, and, uh, and we have them that have gone before us. They have lived a life of faithfulness, a life of victory, a life of overcoming, and now they are in heaven." We have heroes of the faith as our cloud of witnesses in heaven. But not only the heroes of the faith, but you probably have family members and maybe you have friends that are faithful to the Lord, and they are in heaven. And for you and I, knowing that they are there, they should bring us comfort. They should bring us encouragement. I mean, just knowing that they're there, uh, it should cause us to want to just continue to press forward in faith. Well. The Bible, by the way, doesn't say anything. Never, nowhere are we told in the Bible to intercede for the dead. Nowhere. Old Testament, New Testament, nowhere in Scripture are we taught to pray for the dead. In fact, to believe that is to believe in a second-chance After death, and again, nowhere in the Bible are we taught that after you die, there's another opportunity for change. In fact, there's some people who believe that if you die, and these people were not people of faith, that if you pray for them, that over time... Prayers being lifted on their behalf, then somehow there's a second chance for them, and perhaps they can make it into heaven. Again, nowhere in the Bible are we taught that, and nowhere in the Bible are we taught that there's an opportunity for a second chance after death. All right? Question number one. All right, question number two: are what about out-of-body experiences or near-death experiences? Are they real? And that's probably one of the things that, that many of us here tonight, perhaps we know someone who has had a near-death experience or an out-of-body experience, and the question would be, what about those? What about those people who have died and had a vision, a vision of Jesus or a, a vision of heaven or a vision of hell? What about those? Uh, For example, probably 12, 15 years ago, there was a a New York Times bestseller called 90 Minutes in Heaven written by Don Piper. Uh, I had the opportunity to meet him and spend some time with him. Don Piper was a Baptist preacher who was involved in a horrific automobile accident and died. I mean died for 90 minutes and had a vision of heaven, and he wrote about that. So uh, there's stories that you've heard and I've heard, and the question is, uh, man, they're very believable. Uh, wh- what should we say about those? What should we think about those things? Well, the real question we should ask, anytime someone gives us a book or someone tells us to watch a video or hear a story, the number one question we have to ask is, is it biblical? Is it biblical? Does it st- how does it stand next to the Scripture? How does it stand next to the Word of God? We should remember that the Bible is our only perfect source of authority and not our experience or someone else's experience. God will never do anything to contradict His Word. And there should be no experience that should supersede the Word of God. Now, what about those experiences in general? Well, the truth is this. The Bible has, in the Old Testament and New Testament, many examples of people who had visions, uh, near-death experiences, had visions of heaven, visions of hell. Think about Stephen. Stephen was that first martyr, first, as recorded in Scripture, one of the first Christians ever killed because of his faith. And as he's being stoned to death, the Bible says this in Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 7, and he said, behold, this is Stephen speaking, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So we know that Stephen, as he's dying because of the faith, that he had a vision. God opened the, the heaven for him, and he caught a glimpse of Heaven. Well, that's Stephen. Now, what about the Apostle Paul himself? And we actually looked at this a few weeks ago, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul, this is speaking of himself. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was called up to the third heaven. The very first week of our study, we learned together what it is the first heaven and the second heaven and the third heaven. And Paul says, I was called up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of body, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know. Only God knows but i know that this man was called up into paradise whether in the body or out of body again i don't know god knows and i and he heard things that cannot be told which man may not utter and so again paul himself had a glimpse of heaven so Biblically, we know that, yes, there are those who have had a vision of heaven, vision of hell, and that absolutely uh, can happen and is real. But again, when you hear a story, don't automatically assume, oh, that that must be of God. Because, let me remind you, friend, there is an enemy. There is an adversary. There is the devil, the Bible says, who is an incredible counterfeiter. And everything that God does, the old devil, he likes to counterfeit. And for every vision that I believe is of God and of the Lord and edifying and glorifying of him, I believe there's a false vision, a false testimony. And so one thing that you and I need to be very critical of and very aware of and ask, is this, as I listen to the story, perhaps even as I read this book, uh, is it biblical? Does it line up with the scripture? Does it line up with the word of God? And if it doesn't, then I would say to you, it is not of the Lord. And there should be no vision, no experience that we would take above, again, the word of God. Jesus is our ultimate authority. Write this in your notes, Revelation chapter 1, before we move on. Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, And when I saw him, speaking of the Lord, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last." and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus is our authority. Question number three, will we know each other in heaven? Will we know each other in heaven? Well, we tried to answer this question really last, uh, last Sunday evening, but the short answer is yes. Yes, we will. In fact, there are scriptures that tell us that, yes, we will know each other in heaven. The Bible says this, Matthew chapter 8 and verse 11, I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. The scripture goes on to say that we will know as we are known. And so there are no strangers in heaven. Uh, think of it this way. When you have any questions about what we will know or what we will understand in heaven. Here's the thing you need to know is know this. We will know more in heaven, not less. We'll know more in heaven, not less. Heaven is greater, better. It's more than we could ever imagine. In fact, uh, we will be able to use our minds to its fullest capacity in heaven. Think about uh, when you're Your mom, maybe when you were younger, your mom said, don't don't talk to strangers. Well, that won't be the case in heaven. There are no strangers in heaven. So will we know each other in heaven? Absolutely. Question number four. This is probably the most common question I'm asked. Will there be marriage in heaven? I'm often asked this question. In fact, when I get on the topic of heaven, boy, it's one of the first questions. Preacher, will we be... Will we be married in heaven? And I'm always curious, by the way, the reason why I'm asked that question. (laughs) Because sometimes I'm asked it this way. Preacher, we're not going to be married in heaven, are we? Like they're they're hoping for some kind of eternal uh, rest, right? And so uh, I'm always wondering when, when they ask me, will we be married in heaven? Well... We need to look at the, the words of Jesus here. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22, verse number 34 For In the resurrection, they'll neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And I want to be honest, this is probably, as we think about heaven and eternity, this is one of those things that I probably struggle with the most because I don't fully grasp it, I don't understand it. Because here's my reasoning. I do believe that one of the greatest gifts that God gives us on this earth is the gift of marriage. So why would we not be married in heaven? And again, I don't fully grasp it. I don't fully understand it. And the only way that I can really answer it is this. I'm just trusting God. I'm just trusting that God is good and that God is great and that heaven is incredible. And, um, and so I'm just guessing that if it's not like this, you know, uh, like it is on earth, then, then here's what we know. Let me put it this way. The reason I'm able to trust God in this is because, again, God is good, God is faithful, and God, God would never withhold from us. And then I just know this about heaven, that ever how good earth may be in the things of earth may be, we just know that it must be better in heaven. So when it comes to relationships and even marriage, I'm trusting God for his best. Does that make sense? Let me give you a quote. Uh, Many of you have this book. It's one of the best books that I've read about heaven from Randy Alcorn. If you don't have the book, I would recommend that you purchase it uh, for your own personal library. But here's what Randy said about this marriage in heaven. Earthly marriage is a shadow a copy, an echo of the true and ultimate marriage. Once the ultimate marriage begins at the Lamb's wedding feast, all the human marriages that pointed to it will have served their noble purpose and will be assimilated into the one great marriage they foreshadowed. The purpose of marriage is not to replace heaven, but to prepare us for it. I like that. That's just a good statement. Next question. What is the role of angels in heaven? What's the role of angels in heaven? Well, One of the biggest mistakes that I see that people make and Christians make is they have a tendency to think that when somebody dies, when a person dies, they become an angel. Um, especially I've heard, say, when, when a child dies, for example. Oh, well, well, heaven just needed another angel. Well, again, nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible are we taught are told or instructed that a person, when they die, becomes an angel. So I'm saying to you with great authority of Scripture, you're not going to sprout wings when you die and and, and begin to fly around heaven. So let's think about, angels and what their role may be in heaven. Now, what is their role on earth? When we read about angels on earth, we know that they guide and they instruct and they protect and they comfort. Well, all of those things are not going to be needed in heaven. Those things are not going to, we're not going to need to be protected in heaven. We're not going to need to be guided in heaven. We're not going to be needed to do any of those things that those angels do on earth will not need them. But there are a couple of things that the angels do that I believe they'll do in heaven. Uh, one of the things that some angels are given the assignment is that they are messengers. Remember that? Luke chapter 1, Gabriel, right, goes to Zechariah, makes the big announcement of the, of the, of the birth, of, the, of being with child. And so we know all throughout scripture at various times, angels have served as messengers. Now, will they be messengers in heaven? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe, maybe in the new heaven and the new earth, uh, you'll be doing your thing, I'll be doing my thing, and maybe, hey, you'll need to send me a message, and here comes an angel delivering a message, right? So maybe in, in, in heaven, angels are still messenger. Think of it as a heavenly postal system in heaven, right? The stamps will be free, by the way, and all the messages will be delivered on time, all right? There is something that we know absolutely for certain about angels and their role in heaven is that they worship in heaven. As a matter of fact, at various times, we would join them in worship. We're actually told that in Revelation chapter 5. Revelation in chapter 5, beginning in verse number 11, and then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. We will join the angels in worship. I said to you earlier that probably the most common question I'm asked is, Will we be married in heaven? Or I won't be married, will I, in heaven? The second most popular question I'm asked is my pet. Gonna be in heaven with me? Is is Fluffy gonna be in heaven with me? Is my is my horse? Is my hamster? Is my cat? Is my dog? Or are they gonna be in heaven? Well, uh, let's let's talk about that. What what does the Bible say about that? Well, the short answer is is that we don't really know. Don't really know for certain. But what I do want to do is let me take the next just couple of minutes and let me give you some details of what I do know about animals. In heaven, the new heaven, the new earth, all right? Let me, let me give you as much information I can in the next two minutes, and then you kind of draw your own conclusion. So uh, what we do know for certain, in the new heaven, the new earth, there will be animals. Without a doubt, there will be animals. As a matter of fact, listen to this, 16 times in the book of Revelation, animals are mentioned. So again and again and again, animals are mentioned in the book of Revelation, the new heaven, the new earth. Now, what is interesting is there will be no predators, no predators. As a matter of fact, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter number 11, verse 6, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall graze and the young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. So no predators in heaven. Now, you know, I do believe as we think about God and God being so gracious that God has given an affection, right? God has given us an affection for Animals. And certainly we know that animals don't have the same value as people, but God has created uh, animals in such a way as that they've touched many, many lives. And so what, what can we imagine? What can we picture? Well, again, we don't know for certain, but another book that I would recommend to you, it's a book that's been around for many, many, many years uh, on heaven. Joni Erickson Tata, many of you recognize that name? She she made this statement in her book about, about pets in heaven. I think this is well said. If God brings our pets back to life, it wouldn't surprise me. It would be just like him, just like God. It would be totally in keeping with his generous character, exorbitant, excessive, extravagant in grace after grace. Of all the dazzling discoveries and ecstatic pleasures heaven will hold for us, the potential of seeing Scrappy would be pure whimsy. Heaven is going to be a place that will refract and reflect in as many ways as possible the goodness and joy of our great God who delights in lavishing love on his children. I think that's well said. Uh, We have had, Kathy and I, in our 30 years of marriages, we have had two little dogs, uh, Lucy, who has died, and we have little Mia. Now, the question is, will Mia... And will Lucy be in heaven with us one day? I don't know. But I know this. I believe this. If they'll be there with us, they won't be chewing her shoes up like they have done in the past. (laughs) Another question. Um, And maybe more of a serious question as we wrap things up tonight. What about suicide? What about deathbed confessions? What about... Children, when they die. Let me very quickly try to deal with these three questions, and then we'll wrap things up and have communion together. Before I dive into these, these these three, let me first of all say that if Jesus tarries in his return, every one of us here tonight will go through this experience called death. Every single one of us. We'll all, we'll all go through it. Let me, let me deal with probably the easiest one first, uh, deathbed confessions. Is it possible for someone who live a life, a long life, a lengthy life, an absolutely rebellion against God, and in the last days, last breaths of their life, they turn from their sin and trust Christ? Is that possible? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you remember the story in Luke's gospel? Remember Jesus hung on that cross, suffering and bleeding and dying, and there was the one thief, and there on his left was the other thief, and the one thief rebuked the other because he was condemning Jesus, mocking Jesus. He said, why don't you shut your mouth? We deserve to be here. This man's innocent. This man's done nothing wrong. And then he turns to Jesus, and he says what? Remember me. When you come into your, what? Your kingdom. Remember what Jesus said back to him? Today you will be with me in paradise. paradise." So is it possible for a a person to live a life of of hatred and bitterness and rebellion and at the end of his life repent and come to faith? Absolutely. But here's what I want to say to you. There's two sides to this. Does it happen? Yes. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. This morning at our Westmobile campus, we baptized an 86-year-old man. Baptized a 20-year-old young lady and an 86-year-old man. Can you live your whole life and, and then turn to faith? Absolutely. But listen to me. It's very rare. So if you're thinking you're going to live your life and maybe sometime toward the end of your life you're going to trust God, friend, I would not place your eternity on that. Because what happens is what I've seen more often than not is a hardness of heart, a callousness. And even even recently, visiting a man in the hospital, even in his last breaths, rebellion against God. It happens, but it's rare. What about suicide? There's actually accounts in the Old Testament about people who've killed themselves. Can a, can a Christian who commits suicide, will they go to heaven? There are some people who I would say falsely believe that it is the unpardonable sin. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that it is the unpardonable sin. They believe that because they think that it is the unpardonable sin and because the last thing that they did before they died was committed a sin. But again, nowhere in Scripture. As a matter of fact, uh, the question is, does it disqualify you from heaven? No, the only thing that disqualifies you from heaven is not trusting and believing in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. In fact, I have conducted the funerals of of Christians who have have found themselves in a place of hopelessness and a lack of peace and, and of purpose. And I believe listening to the lies of the enemy, and that have ended their own lives. And so what qualifies a person for heaven is the trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. What about a child? What about a miscarriage? What about the child? Well, uh, I, I think that we have a great amount of biblical evidence that says that a baby a child, before they come to that age in which they can acknowledge and understand right from wrong, before that point, they are under the covering and protected by God. Let me give you a couple of instances. Uh, King David. King David in Bathsheba had a, a little baby, a little boy, and he died. And David, after that baby died, David, King David said this, he can't come to me, but I can go to him. And so I just believe that there's proof, there's biblical evidence that that before a child comes, in fact, John MacArthur made this statement. I want to look at it together. Little children have no record of unbelief or evil works, and therefore there is no basis for their deserving an eternity apart from God. They are graciously and sovereignly saved by God as a part of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. I think that's just very well said. Let me remind you of the words of Jesus, Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, so it is not the will of my Father who in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Jesus said what? Don't hinder the little ones from coming. I believe there's much biblical evidence that tells us that children, babies that that die are in the care of our Lord. One final question, we're done. This is probably the most important question that we could deal with tonight. The most important question is: Will you be in heaven? Will you be in heaven? And by the way, this is a question that your father can't answer for you, your mother cannot answer for you, your son, your daughter cannot answer for you. This is the question that only you can answer is will you be in heaven? One last scripture, 1 John chapter 5. Beginning in verse 11, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son, and whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son does not have life. And I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may what? Know that you have eternal life. I don't know if you've ever been in a church like this, but the very first church that I pastored... Uh, During the church service, we would invite the little boys and girls to come up, and I would sit on the step and I would tell a little story. Usually, I would try to tell them a little story or an illustration that would have to do with my sermon. And um, so, at our very first church in the Panhandle, Florida, I was preaching on heaven. And uh, earlier in the service, I invited little boys and girls up, and I was talking to them, and I said, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, if I were to be nice, and kind for the rest of my life to Miss Kathy. And if I had just had a pocket full of candy and every boy, every girl I ever saw, I gave them, gave them candy, would that get me into heaven? And they said, oh, no. And they shook their head, no. I said, well, I said, what if I came up to the church every day and I cut the grass and I painted and I swept and I cleaned. And I mean, the rest of my life, I took good care as best as I could of the church. Would that get me into heaven? Boy, they, them boys are going to shook their head. No. I said, Really? I said, What if I sold my house, sold my car, and gave all the money that I had? I gave it to the church and gave it to missions. Would that get me into heaven? Boy, they shook their head. No. I said, well, how? I said, what can I do, what must I do in order to go to heaven? And they didn't say anything. One little boy, Kyle, who we still contact today, he's in the military, he's shipped overseas. But Kyle, who was little, raised his hand. I said, Kyle, what must I do? What do I have to do to go to heaven? And he stood up, and I mean with a loud voice, as boisterous as he could be, he said, you got to die. You got to die Well he's right You got to die Go to heaven Here's the thing we probably all going to die If the Lord tarries And the question is There's a lot that we don't know about heaven A lot we do know But the main thing is Do you know you're going to go Right Let me pray for us The band's going to come Pastor David's going to be here Pastor Jared's going to be here uh, you may would like someone to pray with you. Maybe maybe tonight, maybe there's some doubts. Uh, maybe you don't know for certain. I would say, listen, don't leave tonight without knowing for certain that you are going to heaven. Whenever that may be. Man, settle that. Know that. Don't live without any doubts. Often for me, someone will make a decision when they're a child. Six, seven, eight years old. And they really... They kind of leave the church, maybe when they become teenagers, and then when they're 30 or 40 or 50 years old, they begin wondering, you know, am I a Christian? Because there's no real evidence. I never really lived it. I made a decision many, many years ago, and I just don't know. It's kind of fuzzy. It's kind of blurry. I would just say this to you. Don't, Don't base your eternity on something that's fuzzy in your mind. But friend, if there's doubts, man, settle it. Settle it and know. That 1 John five thirteen says, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. So I would just say to you tonight, know for certain. And then I think every one of us probably knows somebody or work with someone that there's zero evidence that they know God. And i tell you what we ought to do. We ought to pray. We ought to pray for the conviction of the Holy Spirit and we ought to pray Pray for an opportunity to have a gospel conversation. Even if they're 86 years old, they can trust God and be radically saved. How about this? Would you just bow your head for a minute? Can I do this? I'm not going to embarrass you, but I feel led to do this. haven't done this all day, but I do feel led to do this tonight. And I promise you, I won't embarrass you. I promise you, no one here will. But as your head bowed, your eyes are closed, nobody looking around, But if you would just say this, Alan, I'm not sure. I'm just not 100% sure. And Alan, all I'm asking you to do is just pray for me because I don't have that certainty that if and when I die, I'll go to heaven. And Alan, would you just pray for me? Would you just do this? And I promise you, I'm not embarrassing. Would you just slip your hand up a little bit so I can see it? Would you just slip your hand up so I can pray for you? Slip your hand up. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Just slip your hand up. Say, Alan, would you pray for me that I would have that kind of assurance? Just slip your hand up. Okay. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, in these next moments, we're going to be praying for those that we know, that we love, that we care about. That they would have the assurance of heaven. And God, there are those here tonight who just have some questions and have some doubts, and I pray they won't leave tonight without maybe settling it, maybe even praying with one of these pastors. But Lord, in these next moments, we're gonna examine our own hearts, and we're gonna prepare ourselves for the taking of the cup and the bread. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Let's worship together for just a moment. These pastors are available. The altar is open, and then Pastor David's gonna lead us